Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Hello, everyone. My guest today is someone I haven't met face-to-face, although COVID is over. This is someone I've met and interacted with virtually. Her name is Christine McDonald, and Christine has a story that is not only interesting, it's inspirational. It's persuasive is the word I'll use. It's persuasive evidence that you, anyone, can overcome obstacles that pop up or that you create yourself along the way and come out on the other side better for it, more enlightened, more aware, and more compassionate and empathetic about others, but about themselves as well. So I'm going to let Christine take the lead, and I'm going to try not to interrupt her, because sometimes I do that because I get excited, so I'm going to try to hang back. But Christine's story is interesting, as I said. I think you may take away something from it. Christine, thank you. This is Christine McDonald, everyone. Welcome, Christine. Thank you, Beverly. It's so great to that we're doing this. Really excited to be here. Thank you. So now, tell us where you're from, where you grew up, what your employment journey was, and that'll lead us into the more interesting aspects of, of your journey. Sure. Well, I grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. And it is an unusual situation because most people think if you are not an indigenous Polynesian, such as myself, I'm Scottish Irish background, they call it Haole in Hawaii, which is a Hawaiian word for not of the land. And I'm a white girl from Hawaii. So people, I mean, that's right, right out of the gate. That's an interesting story. My father was with the airlines. I don't know if you remember Pan Am back in the day. Yes. I grew up in the 70s and 80s in Honolulu, and when I was about 13, I was diagnosed with a severe cystic acne case. In fact, it was one of the most prominent cases of acne conglobata at the time. It's hard to say, but 
what it basically means is I had severe cysts filled with blood covering most of my face, my chest, my back. And so starting at a very young age in high school, I was bullied mercilessly. They called me Freddy Krueger, pizza face, moon face. So married with the bullying, and of course it was the 80s, so cocaine was the drug of choice for everyone. And I, as soon as I found that drug, it really sparked something in me and made me feel the confidence that I was lacking. And uh, it is definitely the genesis of my toxic journey. I have spent close to 20 years using drugs and was sexually abused when I was 13. And so when my skin issues were basically navigating my decisions and my choices because I had no self-worth and then I was abused, all of that compounded into as soon as I graduated high school, I found my way on the stripper stage. And for the first time in my life, I felt validated. I felt like I was beautiful when a customer would come up and give me a dollar bill. And all of this takes place in the 80s in Waikiki. So it's a very interesting story. My book, Face Value, From Working the Pole to Bearing My Soul, is all about survival and my why. And why did I make the choices that I made? And it's also about my how. How did I get out of that life? I ended up spicy dancing is what I call it. That's the G-rated way of saying stripper. I ended up dancing and using and doing all those toxic things for a good decade. So how did I get out of it? How did I find my worth? I first had to move away from the island and I started getting into, when, when I moved off the island, I was in California and I waited tables. And from the waiting tables to about a year later, I found my niche in sales. And then I realized stripping is the ultimate sales job. You're selling the idea of sex. You're selling the idea of the customer being wanted and seen, really. So I parlayed my sales experience into from the stripper stage into sales in the office. And that's sort of where my career started outside of the stripping world. Tell me how you were able to get a job stripping with your skin. Skin. Mm-hmm. Because well, that's great... you, were, you were closed, so more of you was exposed, I would suspect. 100% true. And I did feel very exposed. But back in those days, I had, you know, those 80s hair days. <laughs> my hair was my force field. My hair was something that I sort of hid behind. And if it makes sense, you feel very exposed when you're nude on stage, but that also deters from my face. So I did a lot of, I call it drag queen makeup, very heavy, heavy makeup and lots of hair. I could the John Bon Jovi hair <laughs> from the 80s. So the way that it started, the way that I first found my way to the stripper stage was I was in Waikiki in RG string bikinis and rocking our bodies that, of course, back then we felt like we were overweight, which I think is silly. When you look back on old photographs, do you ever do that? And you look back and you, at your 19-year-old self and you think, right? why did I think I was ever, there was nothing wrong with me. So anyway, I was with my girlfriend who is this gorgeous beach blonde Barbie doll, gorgeous girl. and 
she was approached to do a wet t-shirt contest. And my friend knew that I could dance. And she said, well, I'll do it if my girlfriend does it. So he said, all right, both of you. And so when we entered the contest, it was just a natural vibe for me. And uh, I actually ended up winning the contest. So that's how that started. So that was validation for you. Mm-hmm. hundred percent. Oh, yeah. It, and it was also a big FU. Okay. To the bullies in high school. It was vindicating. I felt vindicated for the first time. Like, see, now, now who's Freddy Krueger? You know what I mean? Right. So now you say you segued into sales. Mm-hmm. What aspect of sales did you embark on? Well, the first sales job outside of waiting tables, because food servers are also salespeople, in my opinion, um, you know, you know, you're selling an experience, you're selling a dining experience, and you can make the experience wonderful for whoever's out dining or not so great. So because I sort of was a natural salesperson, the person who I waited on was a recruiter for Icon Office Solutions. And that is a company that was heavily neck and neck with Xerox. So copiers, network peripherals, printers, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So she said, have you ever thought about a sales job? And so she recruited me and I'm 28 years old and I'm living in the East Bay of California. And I felt like Mary Tyler Moore with the beret and that, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm making it, you know, I'm going to make it after all. So I got on the BART train, got the job at Icon, worked in downtown San Francisco. And that's what I did. I basically started selling copiers. And and this is back before Google and the internet. And it was the late 90s. And the internet just wasn't as big as it is now. If it was even a thing, I can't even remember. But the, my boss basically gave me a map a hard map, paper map, circled zip codes and said, that's your territory. Go sell a copier. So I did door to door. And boy, that's a great way to build your tenacity and to build your confidence and your humility. That's for sure. And after about six months of that, I just was like, "Mm, that's not for me. It just wore me down. So I asked for a transfer to inside sales. And that's where I really shined. Because I already had a set base of customers. They called me when they needed toner or anything that has to do with their printer. So, What did you learn about yourself, if anything? That I am stronger than I thought and that I am smarter than I thought. I pick up, I'm a quick study and I can read the room very well. And I don't know if that's from my experiences in the clubs as a dancer or if it's just a natural thing that I have. But yeah, I, I can read a room very well, which comes in handy in sales. Well, that's you, it makes you a good judge of character. I mean, you know, you can anticipate what people might say or do that might be problematic. I mean, I would think that would be a carryover from the, the club work. I mean, you have to be able to recognize where there might be danger, danger, or, you know, something, a situation that may be uncomfortable. And in sales, see, I could never be, I'm, I wouldn't be a good salesperson. I know that. I always needed to have a paycheck, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a salary 
commission would never work with me. I would starve. I would absolutely starve. But if you have the personality and your speaking voice is very soothing and you know you're very calm, I can see how you would come across very persuasively, empathetically, friendly over the phone. And that would help generate sales. Mm-hmm. If you can sell, you can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And thank you for the compliment, by the way. I agree with you. And it is a very cutthroat business with sales. Some companies offer a base salary, which is not enough to live on. Some companies are commission only. So yes, in my opinion, to be a successful salesperson or someone in that sales entity with your career, it is cutthroat. You need to be somewhat of a shark but in the kindest way possible. And my thing was I was a great opener, but I was not so great at closing, which is why I merged from outside sales to inside sales. Because in the outside sales realm, in that lane, you really need to be a born closer. And when I say closer, I mean, you just got to ask for that sale. You got to assume the sale. And part of me, I just didn't have that in me. So I knew that about myself, luckily, quickly into the career. Well, see, and that's another thing that I I think is important and that I cover in not as expansively as I would have liked, but I did cover it in my book. You have to be realistic about yourself and what you bring to the table, your skill set, what you do well and what you don't do well. And if you're not honest with yourself, let's call it, you're going to have a problem in an employment realm, because you may think that you're all that in a bag of chips, and maybe you are if you're selling, if you're opening the sale, but you're not all that if you're the closer. So you have to, you know, people say stay in your lane. I don't say stay in your lane. I say find your lane, perfect how you perform in your lane, and acquire skills that will allow you to perform in another lane. But don't go in that second lane until you've acquired and perfected those skills. You got to hone your skills. I love that. And you're absolutely right. When you know yourself and you know what your strengths, what your blind spots are, it helps so much in any industry that you find yourself working in. You know, it's just, it's navigating who you are internally versus who you think people expect you to be. And part of sales is having a persona. But I believe that to be a good salesperson, you need to believe in what you're selling. And you're not only selling yourself in a way, I mean, of course, it's not stripping, but you're selling the connection, you're selling the relationship with whomever is on deck to hopefully buy your product. But you need to believe not only in yourself, but the product. Right. That's part of it. And just knowing who you are and knowing what your limits are is helpful as well. I love that analogy with find your own lane and rather than staying in your own lane, because when you look at it through that lens, it is giving yourself the permission to evolve and grow. Versus if you stay in your lane, that might be a little bit more restricting. Does that make sense? 
So I love that. Yeah. A friend of mine said to me the other day, I was giving her an example that I, I won't give now. And I said, you know, the person made a statement that I knew was wrong, but I knew that if I answered or I responded the way I know I could, it would be a problem. So I said nothing for a while. And then I asked, well, can you tell me which one it was? And she went to Google because she had her phone there. And so I was explaining this to my friend and she said, you know, people don't know how to stay in their lanes. And I said, you don't understand. People don't know that they have a lane that Mm. they should stay in. So, you know, it's not only staying in your lane and at the same time, simultaneously developing skills that will allow you to move into another lane. It's recognizing what you know and what you don't know, where your inaccuracies show up. Mm -hmm. If you're talking to a lawyer, you should not be making blanket statements about the law. (laughs) Yeah. Now, you don't know I'm a lawyer, but I'm like, and when I, I heard the statement, I was, and I said, no, you can't say anything because whatever comes out of your mouth is going to be wrong. (laughs) it's going to be one. So just be quiet. And then finally I just said, well, which one was it? And there was no, but I don't need to be right all the time. I'm not going to be right all the time. I know that. That's how we learn, right? That's how we learn. Mm -hmm. But when, when people say stuff that I know is wrong, it's like, there's no reason for me to speak. Because, Yeah. You're reminding me of a story when I was in my 30s. I'm 54 now, very proudly. And when I was in my 30s, I was, you know, the water cooler talk in offices. Somebody had just come from a weekend in Vegas and they were at a bachelor party and they were talking all about how they knew everything about the strippers and the bachelor party (laughs) and talk about biting my tongue. I think I drew blood. I I just was really quiet. It's not the place and time, but boy, you do not know what you're talking about as far as my experience goes. But yeah, that's funny. That's really great. When you know what you know from experience, it gives you power. Mm -hmm. It gives you power. And it also can build your confidence. 100%. Without the cocaine. It can build your confidence. Yep. Yep. Well, now you've had some mental issues, mental health issues. How have you been able to to deal with them? Because I lost someone that was very dear to me. And in fact, he was a, a peer reviewer on my book, but he took his life last year. Oh, sorry to hear that. It was devastating because I really didn't see it coming. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes, I I am very open about my mental health issues. Uh, I have depression and anxiety. I did not know it was undiagnosed up until I would say 15 years ago. But from when I was a child, because of the trauma, because of the bullying and the sexual abuse and the choices that I made, you know, it's nature versus nurture. I, I honestly don't know if it's in my DNA to be predisposed to mental illness, but 
for navigating it now, I think part of it is knowing that I'm okay. Like it's the, just erase the stigma. Let's just get that right off the bat because the stigma of mental health is that of shame and embarrassment. And you don't want to reach out for help because you think that there's something innately wrong with you. Why do I have these dark thoughts? Why am I lost? And I can't seem to find the light. So a lot of people let it fester inside of them without realizing that it is, in fact, a serious medical issue and needs to be addressed. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean that the person isn't unwell. And if you erase the stigma of mental health and you reach out and say, I'm having these thoughts, which is suicidal ideologies, which is different than being suicidal. Because suicidal ideologies is something that I've had since I was a child. I've Googled ways to do it. And the being suicidal is actually trying to do it. And I am not going to speak on behalf of anybody else. And I'm certainly not a therapist or a doctor. But I believe that when you share your stories, it, number one, makes you realize that you're not alone. And so it helps others. It helps others. And as soon as you realize you're not alone, there's a tiny bit of light that can come through that little crack in your, in your darkness. And you can cling to that like a tether and say, okay, if I can get through this day, if they can get through this day, then I can get through this day. I hope that my book helps with people who are struggling with mental illness. In fact, on the dedication page, one of the last things I say is, to anyone out there who has struggled or has tried to end their life, I am so glad that didn't work out. And I'm so glad you're here because I feel you. So I'm hoping that that message resonates. It is face value from working the pole to bearing my soul. And you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart. Now, what message or what tips do you want to leave listeners, you know, based on your experience and, and really a unique perspective? Your journey has been unlike many, most. It's true. And it, you know, the ironic thing is I didn't even know it was unusual until I started digging into it and writing my story. And I thought, okay, so I guess this isn't normal. <laughs> Because, you know, when you grow up and when you're inside of it, it's hard to see that anything is not supposed to be the way it, I don't know, how do you describe that? But when you're in it and you don't know any different, that's your normal. So for my tips for anyone who may be struggling or has a unique story of survival or is in the weeds and in the thick of the darkness right now is to just know, number one, that they're a unique person and that they have attributes and value. And if you've ever done quote unquote bad things, that does not mean you are a bad person. If you've ever done shameful things, you don't need to be ashamed of who you are. There are opportunities and stepping stones of growth, and that's how you evolve. So you may have the cinder blocks pulling you under of the person that you once were, but that's not who you are now. So try and look at it through the lens of evolution rather than having your behaviors from the past or current behaviors holding you back. 
Well, Christine, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to share your story with me and my listeners. And it's my hope that hearing how you have come out on the other side and are continuing to do the work necessary to keep you there, that it will inspire other people to do the same. Thank you. I sincerely appreciate your time, your wisdom, and the fact that you're so willing to share your experience. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I feel that the book is going to help people. So I'm very, very appreciative and grateful for the opportunity. And it's been such a great time to chat with you. Wonderful. Well, listeners, I'm going to say goodbye until next time. Please tell them where to find your book again, Christine, and the name. Thank you, Beverly. It is Face Value from Working the Pole to Bearing My Soul. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, or you can order it at any local bookstore. Thank you. And my book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and independent bookstores everywhere. And thank you for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.